You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Good afternoon, Riverhouse. It's good to, good to be home. I've been gone the last couple Sundays, so uh, it's nice to be back with you all. The four o'clock service. What a, what a blessed time of worship, huh? I was just like enjoying God the whole time. It's like what a privilege to get to uh, to worship, and you know, it's like I like one halfway through that set, I was like, we don't even have like a band tonight, you know, and it's like it's so loud in here, I can hardly hear, but it's just amazing. So, just want to honor you all um, for the worship uh, that we just created. You know, Jordan ushered us there, but we created that together, and I think we thought we brought Jesus something of worth tonight, which was. Uh, our hearts, spirit, and truth. So, a blessing to be with you all. Uh, I missed being home. Uh, I got to be, uh, last week I was actually uh, at a church service in New York City of a, a church that's a little older than us, but they planted about six years ago in the heart of Manhattan, and uh, got to meet the pastor for a little bit and had a really blessed time worshiping them with them, but uh, it was nothing like being home. So, um, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I listened uh, yesterday, actually, I was listening to uh, the message that uh, Pastor AJ preached last week, who was blessed. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought it, was, uh, it was just beautiful, ministered to me in so many ways about uh, the easy egg yolk. <laughs> I was like, man, dude, you're humble to confess that in front of a congregation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but truly, I thought that was um, beautiful, and uh, in some ways, I think I'm going to uh, even continue on, on the theme of uh, partnering with God and, and, and really uh, living from a place of rest, and uh, we've been in this season of prayer, which has been very fruitful for me personally, and it's been very encouraging to see the um, participation from the body on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I know the other prayer times that I'm hearing about are taking place as well. And on, and if you are having a prayer gathering, um, I would love for you to just like email me and let me know, because that just blesses my heart. You know what I mean? Like, wow, prayers are happening. I know there's ones happening, but Jordan Riverhouse Ministries, like I'd love to just hear what you're praying about, who you're praying with. Um, but we're doing this, and I, I think that God's been speaking a lot because of that, and uh, he's been opening my eyes to a lot of things, but we had a, a prayer time maybe two or three weeks ago. I think it was a Tuesday morning. I believe me and Riley and Whitney Miller were leading the time. And at one point, we began in the room praying for uh, divine motivation, that it would uh, fill us as a church. And I've kind of been pondering this diet, this idea ever since then because I, it was something that I'd never prayed before. And it was one of those moments when I really was like, wow, I'm praying the prayer that Jesus is praying over us. Does that make sense? Because it was just like, I've never prayed like this before. I've never even thought to pray this prayer. And there was just such this conviction inside of me that we would be a motivated people filled with divine motivation. And so I've been pondering this, though, because immediately after I was like, you know, there's kind of some negative connotations that you could think of as far as motivation as well, right? Like, you know, there's just you can be motivated and kind of like a jerk, you know what I mean? Or like, 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 so what does it mean to be motivated by God? What does it look like to be motivated by God? And so um, in the context of 
just this season of prayer in the context even of what AJ preached about last week of the easy burden and the light yoke. I want to talk tonight about uh, being a people of motivation. Uh, we know, uh, you know, there's motivational speakers. That's like a huge industry, right? I mean, anybody, just be honest, you've been on those YouTube, you know, it's like most inspirational video ever, and you've watched it, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Some of them are like good. It's like rocky scenes, you know, to epic music, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get an eight-pack next week, right? <laughs> so motivation is something that, like, we're familiar with, right? But I believe that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate motivator, right? He carries the inspiration of God. And so as Christians who the Holy Spirit lives inside of, we should be the most motivated people on planet Earth. Right? We have the best, most epic motivational speaker that ever lived. He lives inside of us. He's our teacher. He's our guide. He's our counselor. He carries the inspiration of God. And he wants to impart that to us on a regular basis. So we should be a very motivated people, right? And it says in, Philipp in Philippians that he who begins, initiates a good work will bring it to completion, right? God is the author and the perfecter. He's the beginning and the end, right? He, he begins and he can motivate us all the way through to completion so that we can run the race the full distance and finish uh, the, the assignment that we've been given as human beings walking this planet. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk about uh, being a motivated Christian. And before I do that, I want to spend a little time maybe distinguishing one of the big things that I believe distinct, like, is, separates uh, godly, divine motivation from just human motivation. And to do that, I believe we kind of have to look at the inside, not necessarily at the outside, because externally, motivation kind of has similar characteristics, right? We can describe what motivation looks like. Um, this is just a little uh, definition of motivation. It's the internal process that makes someone move toward a goal, right? So it's the internal process that makes someone move towards a goal. Say it one more time. The internal process that makes someone move towards a goal, just so you can get that. Right? So we have to look at the inside. It's the internal process. Because sometimes I think we can focus on the external characteristics of what motivation looks like. And there's not really a huge distinguishment between are you, am I being motivated by God or am I just being motivated by myself? Does that make sense? We have to get into the internal process. Because if we're going to be filled with divine motivation, it's going to be an internal process that God is highly involved in that is creating this movement towards a particular goal, right? That ultimately would be God's goal, which would be some aspect of fulfilling the Lord's prayer of bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We should be very motivated to see that prayer fulfilled in our lives because God is very motivated to see that prayer fulfilled through our lives. Right? And I believe that the major difference between uh, if it is uh, uh, divine or if it's human uh, actually comes down to uh, what the motivation is fueled by. Right? And human motivation, and this is a lot of this is speaking out of myself because I've been a very motivated person my whole life. Like that's something that that comes natural to me. I like motivating people. I like being motivated myself. But I have found over my journey that, that human motivation, my own self-motivation, my own ambitions, I can get very driven um, because I'm fueled by lack. Does this make sense? 
Like, I remember uh, when I was, uh, I got really, I got out of shape between eighth and ninth grade. I don't know why. Probably because I was golfing all summer and you don't really get in great shape. And I remember coming back, uh, eighth grade, I was, I had a really good basketball season. I had, I golfed all summer probably got a little chubby and came back to go to ninth grade basketball and I was totally out of shape and I like tanked the uh the I just didn't play well in tryouts and stuff because I honestly could hardly breathe and and I remember my coach at the end of the season he said yeah you know you barely made the team Jordan and I was like he's like you just didn't look good at tryouts he's like but your eighth grade coach called and said no you need to put him on the team he's like one of the best players and I was like but I knew I knew I was struggling right but I remember the beginning of that season, I was so motivated, I could hardly, I remember there was a movie came out about basketball, and I was in the movie theater, and I could, almost, I could hardly even sit still watching the movie, because I was like, I got to go practice, I got to go get in shape. Like, I was really motivated. Does that make sense? I was motivated by lack. I was motivated by the thing that I didn't have that I know I could have, and I was actually really frustrated. And that frustration was motivating me, it was driving me, because I, there was this lack. Does that make sense? And so it, 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 it created this drivenness in me. And drivenness is amazing. Drivenness is the external, you know, is what, is what motivation looks like. There's this drive in human beings that, that is the external manifestation of motivation. And drivenness is powerful, which means it, it needs fuel to operate. Does that make sense? We look at powerful engines that have drive they have a lot of fuel that they consume. And usually the bigger the engine, the more drive it has, the more fuel it needs to consume to create that thrust. It's no different when it comes to that emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, motivating thrust of our human drive. Right? But this is the problem. When it was human motivation, it was actually, I, was motiva- I was fueled by lack and frustration. So I, it, would, it would drive me, and then I would attain the thing that I lacked. But here was the hiccup. For me to stay motivated, what did I need? Lack. So I actually would then self-sabotage whatever I got, and then I'd have to start focusing on the thing that I didn't have yet again. So it creates this cycle of unfulfillment. Do you see it? Like I remember when I won my first state championship, I think I was 14 years old. I won it. It was the achievement of my life. I had struggled for years with all the expectations in the state tournament, and I finally broke through, won it. And I remember like three, four days later, I was like, I was like trying to figure out a way to make myself miserable, and I started, and I built it, and I remember, and I was like, no, no, I got to work on this. I got to work on this. I got to do better. I got to win the next thing. And it was like I couldn't even enjoy the achievement that I had spent like three, four, five years working for at that point. I'd, I'd gotten what I'd wanted. But then I, was, I needed more lack to keep my motivation because the motivation was coming from me. It was my own human motivation, and it was fueled by this sense of lack. I hope this is making sense, right? And so when there's lack and frustration that are creating motivation, I think there's two, um, there's two things that we'll do out of that frustration, which will either overextend or will underextend ourselves. Right? And overextend is like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push so hard and I'm going to go into super achiever mode or I'm going to get tired and exhausted. I'm going to underextend. I'm going to go to more just like apathetic, lazy mode because it's like this is just frustrating. So I'm either going to turn my frustration external I'm going to turn my frustration internal and I'm just going to check out one way or another and try to, try to make this sense of unfulfillment go away. Does this make sense? So that's human motivation. We actually need lack 
and uh, discontent to maintain our drivenness. Right? Divine motivation is fueled by rest. It's full of encouragement, and it actually produces purpose. Right? It's fueled by rest. That is, that is, it's in this overflow of rest that I receive from God encouragement that then produces this sense of purpose. And purpose pushes me towards these goals that God has for my life. Right? So it, it creates a healthy cycle, which is that it creates a consistent uh, and, and, and sustainable, I would even say, state of motivated living. And, it, and, and, and in that motivated state of living, there's healthy rhythms of rest and work, rest and output, input, output, input, output, right? Exertion, rest, exertion, rest, because, because rest is actually the fuel of the motivation. So if you want to find out if you're operating just out of human motivation or if you're operating out of divine motivation, you just have to ask yourself this question. Do you value play in your life? And when I say, do you value it, I mean, do you give time to it? You can say, oh, yeah, I love play and rest and fun and these things. Well, do you really, though? Like, do you value it? Do you make time for it? Do you prioritize it? If you don't, then, then you're, not, you're not working according to the way that God worked in Genesis 1. You're working according to human Motivation, which is the water we, slim, we swim in in our culture. Right? Who do we idolize in our culture? Hard workers and achievers. You know, I, if you want to, you know, Elon Musk. The dude works like, what, I think they say 21-hour workdays. He's the man. You know, like that's the, and that's just the epitome of the cultural water that we're all swimming in, which is work. But that is not how God models his work, and God is far more effective than even Elon. He probably doesn't believe that, but he is. God got to Mars long ago. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm going to kind of switch gears now and just define the resting place. And before I do that, I guess I just want to say is that depending on what place you're coming from, this message may have different implications for you. Meaning, if you've been in a place where you're like, oh, I think because of this constant state of unfulfillment, it's producing like this under extension, like I don't even want to engage with that because it just seems exhausting. Which is a lot of times what we look at, things like prayer or you know, different aspects, we're like, I, I, can't, even, I can't even go there because it just makes me feel like I'm a failure, right? Which is sign that we're looking at it from a human operating system, which is I have to contrive the motivation and the drive to go after this, right? And I've preached on spiritual hunger, which is desire, which is a drivenness, and, right, and hunger is, is it, 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 it's derived from lack, but the, the problem is, is the lack that God produces in spiritual hunger, right? The world's hunger is I don't have food, therefore I'm hungry, and it creates a drivenness. Spiritual hunger, the essence of it, is it's actually, it's actually received and awakened through rest, right? It's like, it's like I come into God's presence, 
and I experience his presence, and then he, he begins speaking and identifying from this place of peace. He begins speaking and identifying the, these areas of lack, and then it produces this, it's hunger, but there's also like, it's motivating. It's like, wow, that's within my reach, right? When hunger becomes unmotivating and I want to let go is when it's like, I don't have what it takes to do that. I, I don't have the discipline. I don't have the drive. Right? When, no, no, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He's the most motivated person you'll ever meet. He's the inspiration of God for you. He wants you to be the most motivated person, right? It's all within your reach. So, so there's just operating systems. Whether you're in an underextension, right, whether you're overextending yourself, which that's probably what rests heavier on my heart is, you know, we're in a community of a lot of business people and entrepreneurial type mindsets and creatives, and you're going after ministry things and business things and Creative thing, all, all this, right? So you're in a, a context, some of us in overextension. I'm overextending, I'm overextending, I'm, 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 I'm constantly in this cycle where I'm fueling, but I'm kind of exhausted, right? And I'm drive and go, right? there's maybe an inconsistency. Um, this, this, this message may have different implications for you, but I just want to define what the resting place is, right? I've shared this story a lot of times, and every time I share it, I feel like it sinks deeper into my spirit. But we were in uh, Columbia years ago, we were with a businessman who is a leader in, in this huge 15,000-person church, and he was on staff for a number of years in youth ministry. And now he uh, is a successful real estate businessman. And he was telling us a story. He said, uh, when I was early in my ministry, he said the youth group was 100 kids. And he said, one of my jobs as a youth pastor was to host our conference speakers and pick them up from the airport and then get them to the conferences when they would come. And he said, and we were having uh, this, this conference, and it was like a healing conference or something. This is a, it's the biggest Nazarene church in the world, Cali, Columbia. And he said, and the guest speaker for this conference was a 13-year-old boy. And he said, I was kind of curious, like, what's this 13-year-old kid got that I don't? That he's coming to speak at our whole church conference, 1,000-person church. He said he picked up the kid from the airport, uh, took him to the hotel, and the kid immediately just said, okay, I need to pray, and he began praying. And he said, and he watched for the next four hours as this kid was just praying. He said he would go from worshiping to on his knees to solitude to receiving to worship to crying. He said for like four hours. And finally he was like, hey, dude, lunch is ready. We've got to go eat. So he like pulls him downstairs. They eat. And then he goes, grabs him by the hand as soon as the last bite. And he says, come back. We need to keep praying. Goes back up and he prays for another four to five hours in the afternoon into the evening. And finally, uh, Pastor Jaime said, okay we got to go to the meeting. So he said, the kid throws on his shirt, they get in, get in the car, and they're driving there. And he says, what are you going to preach tonight, Alexander? He says, I have no idea. God hasn't told me yet. And he was like, this is an interesting 13-year-old, right? Said he gets to the church, said he preached this message, and this is what the pastor says. He said he preached a terrible message. Said he was sitting there going, I could preach a lot better than that. Nothing great, nothing great. And he said he preaches, then he ends, and he says, okay, do do you guys believe what I just said? I'm going to pray, and it's going to happen said he prayed about a two-minute prayer, said amen, and for the next three hours, there were testimony after testimony, wheelchairs on the stage, people putting their eyeglasses, people putting their crutches of the God moving, miracle after miracle after miracle after healing after healing after healing. So the next day, he was with the kid, and he said, congratulations. And he said, how do you do that? He said, do you always pray 10 hours a day? And he said, no, not always. He said, but when the Lord asks me to, I do. And he said, that kid left, but I was never the same. And he said, I began prioritizing uh, being in God's presence in a way that I never had before. 
And he said over the next year, my ministry went from uh, 100 kids to 1,000 kids. And he said, and now to this day, he said, the way that I live my life, he's like, I prioritize God's presence. He said, because one day of favor is better than 1,000 days of labor. And at this point, we were there in March. And he said, for instance, this year, me and God were in prayer. And I said, God, I need this amount of money. If I make, God, He said, God said, once you make this amount of money, the rest of the year is ministry unto me. And he said, I made that deal in one deal. and I made that much money in one deal in the third week of January. And now this year, I'm spending the rest of the year in, in ministry unto the Lord. I don't need to make money. One day of favor is better than a thousand days of labor. Right? So I say this to say is that learning to rest is actually learning to abide and live in the favor of God. Right? It's in rest that we're actually resourced with divine favor. That, that empowers us to do more than what is humanly possible. And this is not just meant to be some ethereal story of what happened in Colombia with Pastor Jaime. No, this is real. Right? God's favor, he, he either is working unto this day to bring his kingdom on earth, or he isn't. And if he is, and he wants you and I to be a part of that with him, it's going to be bigger than you and I, because it's his kingdom, right? So... We're learning to rest and live in his favor. So Hebrews chapter 4, you can turn there. I, I want to just define the, the, the process of receiving divine motivation in, in hopes to awaken it within you tonight. So Hebrews chapter 4, most believe Paul is the author of Hebrews, and he is speaking to the church, and uh, he, he's referencing uh, ancient Israel who failed to enter into the promised land because of their disobedience, right? This is the context. And we'll pick up uh, down in verse 7, where it says, Today. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Right, so if Joshua had given them rest, he's speaking of the promised land. He's saying if the physical Canaan, the promised land, was the, the, the promised land rest, that, there wouldn't have been another one. But I'm telling you, there's something better than the physical promised land. He's saying there remains a Sabbath rest where you can enter into the Sabbath rest of God. Right, we, we have these ideas of Sabbath where it's, it, I think we've almost naturalized the Sabbath rest of God. And what I mean by that is it's, we've kind of boiled it down to it means you take a day each week and you don't do anything. That is true from the external sense. But Paul is trying to evoke something much deeper here. And he's actually to, trying to uh, um, articulate for you a spiritual reality that you have access into. A very high and crowned place within the creative order called the Sabbath rest of God. And when we rewind back to Genesis 1, we see six days where God creates of nothing. Ex nihilo is what it's called. He created from darkness and void. He created everything that we see. 
Right? He created the earth. He created man. He created the animals. He created the seed and the plants and the waters. And he created. And then on the seventh day, it says he finished. He looked at everything and he rested, sanctified the seventh day and made it holy. Right? So I just want you to, to, to close your eyes for a second. I want you to think of the, like the crowning moment of your life, like your greatest achievement you ever did. Might have been winning a, you know, if you're any Uncle Rico in here, the state championship back in 76. You know, but your crowning achievement. Uh, and I, just for a minute, I want you to engage with the fulfillment you had. May have been having your, your firstborn child in your arms. May have been your wedding day. May have been when you sold your first company and you built your first company. When you had your first job, when you whatever, valedictorian. Just remember that moment. Remember that sense of fulfillment. I'm sure if we had time and I could interview you all, it'd be, you know, feelings of peace, feelings of joy. I could ask you what you feel, pleasure, significance, purpose, right, achievement, right? There's something beautiful about those moments in life, right? They're different for everyone, but there's something that's so serene about on the other side of that achievement, right? We all may have some amazing achievements in here, but it's nothing like if we were to have created the earth as it is. Right? But God, he created it. He said, it's very good. And then he rested and reveled in the deep satisfaction of that achievement. Are you following me? So when Paul's saying Joshua's rest wasn't the real thing, it was just a foreshadowing there's something greater you can come into. You can come into the Sabbath rest of God, the deep fulfillment and satisfaction and rest and peace and joy that God has as he delights in all that he's done. Ephesians says it this way, you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is a posture of victory. That's a posture where there's no concern. That's a posture of absolute authority. It says he raised him up above every other name, put them far beneath his feet. He rose Jesus up in conquering victory as he had just defeated and annihilated death and sin and all infirmity and disease and affliction. He raised him up in crowning victory and then seated him on the throne of all creation. And it says, and then he raised you up and he seated you with him. I don't think that that's necessarily like the exact, like, oh, you're just going to sit on the throne forever. But that is the posture of rest. That's the resting place. So Paul's saying we need to be diligent to enter into that rest. Right? Because somehow... Even though we didn't have to work for it or achieve anything on our own, God wants to give us that deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment for free. 
You say, where's that in the Bible? That is Jesus' baptism. Jesus had done nothing. Jesus had, we don't even know anything, except he sat on the temple steps and listened to a few uh, Bible studies. It's the only thing that we've heard for 30 years to Jesus Christ, God incarnate's life. No miracles, no signs, nothing. And then God, publicly, right? We miss this from the baptism sometimes. If I was standing here right now preaching and a voice thundered from heaven and said, listen to this man. This is my son that I'm pleased in. Listen to his words. Do you know what I'd feel like? It'd be like a stick of butter on a frying pan. I'm serious. I would melt in the affirmation and the affection and the honor that was being bestowed on me as God himself thunders from heavens on my behalf. And what had Jesus done? Nothing. Jesus was entering into the rest of his father. And that serenity of rest is the place where God whispers. And that whisper has the power to create more drive and motivation than any of the lack and poverty of this orphan planet can. Does this make sense? Because God said, let there be light. Let the sky separate. Let the oceans form. His words created the world that we're living in. And when we enter into the Sabbath rest, I kind of, you know the Simba Mufasa scene where he takes him up and looks out over all the land? When we enter into the rest of God, when we ascend into that place, seated with him in heavenly places, entering into the deep fulfillment and satisfaction that my father is God and it's all done, he then starts whispering and says, and look at your purpose. Look at what I've called you to do because I'm still creating the world. But I stopped so that we could now do this part together. Want to talk about purpose, significance, not of my own doing and achievement, but because I'm connected to the one that's achieved all things. And when there's purpose, that's highly motivating. When you wake up in the morning and you know that your day was created for purpose, Oh my gosh, when I know that what I'm going to do is significant, oh my goodness, when I know that what fills mundane from man's eyes is eternally significant in the one who formed me and formed the world's eyes, I'm motivated. When he whispers and defines what's happening, when he shows me what's taking place, when he gives me things to share with people, when he gives me assignments in that whisper, suddenly I'm fulfilled and I have purpose, right? And motivation Right? My drive has fuel to feed upon. But it's a drive that's derived from rest. So burnout's not in the equation. Does this make sense? Here's, here's the, the rub. This is the difficulty in, in why there's such a fight and why we have to strive diligently to enter into that rest. It is because, as I mentioned earlier, the water that we swim in in our culture is all about works. Doing, 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 doing. 
And it's so deep that I don't think we realize, like, it's, it's, it's deep. I can say it, and it will hit at an intellectual level, but it is hardwired into our emotional responses, into the impulses we have. And just, like, to, just to like tell you what I mean by that, like, there's times where I will literally be resting in such a deep place in the presence of God, like, to the point, like, his presence is so heavy on me, and it, I start to almost fall asleep. And you know what I feel? Guilt. Something in my head starts screaming, you're being lazy, get up. Anybody else? Why? Right, because that experience is so countercultural to what we've been ingrained to idolize and celebrate. One of the reasons that I think prayer is so difficult for people in Western context is because of this rub. It, there's something about when we get into the depths of rest that it starts violating this achievement, do, human-driven agenda. Right? So there's a rub is what I'm trying to say. But So we have to recognize that rub and just allow ourselves to keep pushing through it. I had a, a dream uh, years ago that I felt like sharing that honestly I, I thought was a dream uh, for that season of my life. And I think I was in college at the time, so it was probably six, seven, eight years ago. And uh, the, the longer that I go, I think it's just something that will always be with me. Um, but in the dream, I was on a path, and uh, there was a lot of people on the path, and I knew it was the path of life or achievement or whatever it was. And uh, it was on the edge of a, this huge kind of uh, like huge, it was almost like I was at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and there was a path. But the canyon went like, like 50, 60, 70 miles like that way. And then the path kind of all suddenly came around. And then I knew where I was trying to go was over there. And that wasn't very far, but there was the canyon. Does that make sense? And in the dream, I had like 12 foot, I didn't have arms. I had like 12 foot long wings. And when I looked around, everyone was running like with their arms like this. And I noticed that the people that were the fastest was the people that had put their wings in the perfect way that it would be the most aerodynamic. Does that make sense? And so they had their wings trying to navigate through the wind, and they were running. And then the person that was closest to me was someone that I knew personally who was a CEO of a very successful company. And so I knew he represented in the dream, like, success. And he was the fastest, and he had his wings in this perfect way that he could navigate so he wasn't getting resistance. But in the dream, as I was watching people trying to do that to run the race, the rat race, really, something in me stopped, and I was like, these wings can fly. Like, I don't know how yet, and I started trying to fly, and I just kept falling and failing and, like, rolling in the dirt. And I was getting so frustrated because every time that I took to try to learn how to fly, I was watching the people get further and further and further ahead. Does this make sense? So I'm trying to fly just stumbling and bumbling around. I can see that people are getting ahead of me, and then I wake up from the dream. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Jordan, you have the ability to fly, but you're going to have to learn. Like, you're going to have to rest. You're going to have to take time, and you're going to have to invest your time in things that from culture's perspective and point of eyes don't look fruitful, don't look like they're going to do, like they look like you're going to get behind. You're wasting time. You're being lazy. What are you doing? They're getting ahead of you. Anybody? And I knew he was telling me, prioritize learning 
to rest, learning to pray. And, and not just learning to pray, because we can actually pray in this motivated prayer way, right? like we've been talking about, in a way that's still not restful. <laughs> right? You shouldn't leave your prayer times more exhausted than you came in. <laughs> right? Prayer is about enjoying God. It's fun. There can be, you know, play. Jesus can be funny. Go figure. Hey, he says in his presence is fullness of joy. That would connotate that he must be like kind of funny at least a little. Right? But because we come into prayer so often like with Western agenda, even church, it's not fun. It can't be fun. It's serious. It's just serious. You know, C.S. Lewis, was it C.S. Lewis that, yeah, joy is the serious business of heaven? And I've read Galatians 5 like a lot of times. And seriousness is not one of the fruits. <laughs> you know, and I'm preaching to myself. As I can... <laughs> that was my brother. I'm preaching to myself, for real. Probably more than anyone tonight. And, and this is the Lord, you know, it's Jordan. The, where you're trying to go is right there. And I've given you the ability to fly. And there's something about that when we rest, right, that, that, in that resting place, in that deep, serene joy and peace that we can enter into, right, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to mean we're going to have to, in some capacity, we're going to have to push through that tension of feeling like we're, everything else is getting away and now I'm just going to be behind. Right, the, the world's catching up on me. I'm not, the financial compensation's not coming. The, what, we have all the justifications. It takes faith. It takes faith to truly rest in God. But that's what God loves, is faith. And I think sometimes we, we say, oh, it takes faith to pray for the sick. And it does. It takes faith to believe God for the provision. It takes faith to, to do what, all these things. Right, but it's almost, those are like kind of far off, and they're only here and there that I have opportunity to express that kind of faith. The kind of faith that you can express every single day is investing time, learning to rest. That tells God, that tells him very powerfully, I believe in you. I trust you. I believe that your kingdom is upside down, and I want to live in your kingdom, not in my own. That's good faith. Right, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For, for to come to him, we must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. There's a reward. So I, I think that, you know, we can learn. We can take these wings, we can stick them, and we can try to do it in our own strength, and we can run. Like, we can run. But we often mistake movement for, uh, um, you know, busyness, really, like motion for actual true movement. Right, we're like, oh, no, I'm moving faster than other people. Yeah, but you're having to go way, 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 way that way when you can go this way. But the only way you can go this way is with God. Amen? Amen. Is this is good? Yeah. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who's entered his rest has himself rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. 
I just want to give you all permission to enjoy God. That when you come to church, you can enjoy God. That when you go to pray, you can enjoy God. You know, when you, when you have all your spiritual pursuits, you can still enjoy him. Right? You can value having fun. And you can value play. And you can value rest, even in the midst of all the spiritual pursuits. Right? Because we're serious about pursuing God. We are. Right? But we have to be just as serious about having fun with him. And resting in him. And letting him share that deep place of satisfaction with us. So I just want to close and just wait on the Lord together. Uh, we got time. So I just want you to just close your eyes. You know, and even in worship tonight, there's such an invitation to just enjoy the goodness of God. And just ask the Lord, just say, Jesus, take me into the rest of the Father. Lord, we thank you for rest. We thank you for a peace that surpasses understanding. We say, come Holy Spirit. Give us a, a greater taste, a greater glimpse of this rest you tell us is ours. We're gonna drink you deep tonight. We're gonna drink deep tonight. drink deep right now. Yeah, I just uh, feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me that there's some of you that you've been, uh, you've, you're like, I have been overexerting myself a lot. And even the thought of coming to church, like, has been tiring to me. And like different things. And there's just like this sense where your soul's been tired. And um, I think part of it is you were, um, you've been like almost frustrated because you were in a really good place. Like there was a season where you were eating a lot of meat, meaning things that go in, but like take a lot of time to digest and you've been chewing on and you've been on like an inner journey with the Lord, but you feel like all of a sudden I've been doing all this work, but now I feel exhausted. And I just feel like God wants to refresh you tonight. And so... Now, even if that's you, maybe you can just stand and you can come forward. And I just want to, I want to, you can come up. I just feel like that's, the Lord wants to minister to you tonight. Yeah, so just stand and then just come on up. Yeah, thank you, God. And if you're still seated, just keep engaging with the Lord and just enjoying God. And if you're standing, just put your hand on your heart. Prayer team, if you're here you can, and, and you're not ministering or you're, and you're not standing, just you can come and lay hands on people up here.
But Father God, I thank you for each one that's standing here tonight. And I just ask, Lord, that if they've been in a season of, 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 of meat, God, on things that have heavy words that have been super uh, challenging and they've been on these journeys with you, God, but that you're serving uh, uh, wine tonight, God, and in your presence is fullness of joy. And so we just thank you for joy. God, we thank you that your presence is refreshing, that you give us, um, in Isaiah 55, you say, come to me and drink all who are weary. Eat, eat, eat and drink without money, without cost. It's free. Lord, and we thank you that your grace is free right now, God, that your rest is free. Lord, that your arms are open. The arms of the Father are open, and you just embrace, and you call each one here standing, God, and you just just drawing them up, up and into your rest, up and into a deep sense of satisfaction. God, a deep, serene joy, a deep rest, God. And that in this rest, that you'll birth divine motivation, Holy Spirit. That you take the inspiration of God and you just begin to just release it into their inner man. That you begin to speak and whisper within to them, God. And that they'll, they'll find you all throughout this week, God. That there'll just be a new grace for a new season. God, a new grace for a new season. That you're teaching them how to abide in you. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. Just come and fill, Holy Spirit. Come and move, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way, Holy Spirit. Yeah, we just cast the yoke of striving off, that heavy yoke. Yoke is easy and your burden is light. We cast our burdens on you. And we receive your rest. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.